Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and we're reading from uh, verse 7 through to 12. But if you like to uh, open up your Bibles at uh, verse 7 in chapter 1 and it says there, um, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance uh, be, uh, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And uh, yes, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, did you notice how many times uh, in him was mentioned there? And if you read through the whole chapter, you'll see in him and in Christ mentioned so many times, and these blessings that Paul is talking about is in Christ. And and we need to be reminded uh, from time to time, even we as Christians who have been on that that, uh, road to eternity for a very long time. Some of us have been there for many decades and some uh, a little bit less maybe. But we need to be reminded from time to time that these blessings are in Christ. And we need to come to Christ with a grateful heart and be reminded that uh, that cost and those blessings that he's given to us, the cost is mind-blowing. For human beings, it's mind-blowing. It's beyond our comprehension, the cost that God paid that he might redeem us from our own sin. What indeed a great blessing it is to be able to as Jesus taught his disciples to pray to our Father who art in heaven. What a blessing that is. What a most remarkable blessing it is that we're able to say our Father, not your Father or their Father, but our Father. What a a blessing. Do you get that? Yes. Oh, yes, okay. You get that. It's our Father. And we can say our Father. Now, this is the Father who had the plan of creating this whole world. Now, I don't know if you've seen um, on YouTube of uh, Louis Giglio's presentation of of the creation, but uh, I think it's indescribable. I think it's called indescribable. And uh, we've got the video if you want to see it. And in there he shows the uh, relative size of the planets that are made. And I tell you, it's mind-blowing how huge those planets are. If you had, if, say, for instance, Earth was represented by the size of your little, little nail here, then some of those planets would be the size of this building. Absolutely astonishing how big those planets are out there. And God said, let it be. Wow. (laughs) That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That our Father could say, hmm, 
That would be good. Let it be. And it is. What an amazing thing that this God who created all of these things calls us his children. What an amazing thing that he loves for his children to call him Father. Abba Father. Indeed, those blessings are in Christ. Those outside of Christ cannot call him Father because he is not their Father and he says that they, their Father is the devil. But he still longs for them to come into the family of God and this is the Father of all creation and he sent Jesus Christ into this world to pay for our ransom. Can you put the uh, next slide up? Oh, it's not a... There it is. We got it. The Son paid for it. In Ephesians, we are reading about in Him we have the redemption. We have it. It has been given to us. It has been bought for us and he has given it to us. And it is found in him and it is found through his blood. We have the forgiveness of trespasses and that forgiveness is according to the riches of his grace. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? You just stop and think about that. It's according to the riches of his grace. Just think of a moment for a person, maybe one person in this world who might own the whole wealth of the world. And he comes and he gives you a blessing and it is according to his riches. Wow, what a, what a, what a blessing that would be. But here, this according to the riches of his grace makes that idea so tiny and so irrelevant. It's so far away from the truth. The truth of the riches of his grace and we have forgiveness according to that. And he says in verse 8, which he has lavished upon us. Lavished it upon us. It's not just doling it out here or, you know, here, here, pull it out of my hand. He's lavishing it upon us. He's lavishing his forgiveness. He's lavishing his riches upon us. The riches of walking with Jesus Christ in the presence of the Father. In all wisdom and insight. And as one commentator said, if I can remember Close enough to what he said, uh, it was thought to be a wise thing to give this to his children. Making known to us the mystery of his will. But then if we come back to the title of the message today, the son paid for it all, that raises the matter of debts, doesn't it? If something gets paid, it raises a matter of debts. Now, I don't know whether you have ever thought of this, but debts incurred must be paid for by someone. 
It's impossible for a debt to be not paid. Have you ever thought about that? A debt has to be paid. It cannot go unpaid. It's impossible for a debt to be unpaid. It is either paid for by the one who incurs the debt or the creditor himself will pay for the debt in forgiving the debt. Or maybe a third party might step in and pay the debt on your behalf. But the debt always has to be paid. The debt of my sin incurred was unpayable by me. But another greater than I redeemed me by paying my debt for me. You see, the devil had held me for ransom because of my sin. There was a foothold in, his, in my life and he had it and he had me and he held me to ransom for some 19 odd or so years. The cross, it equals the channel of blood through which flows redemption. And that equals I am released because the ransom was paid in full. This ransom is available to all who will come. Will you come today? Those of you who are listening to this recording, will you come today as you are listening? Because Jesus Christ is calling you. The Father is calling you. The Holy Spirit is calling you. And we see that in Revelation, the book of Revelation, where even the church is calling you, say, come, come. So the ransom is available to all. God's people are called to the round table. Now, if you can quickly turn to Isaiah 1, verse 18 through to 20. Isaiah 1, verse 18 through to 20. And I'd like to take, take notice of some points here that reflect this desire of God to come, to, to calling us to come, come to him. This is what the cross is all about. It is, the, it is the message of the cross. Come to the Father through Jesus Christ. Come to the Father. Let him be your Father. And in verse 1 of uh, chapter... Sorry, in verse 18 of uh, chapter 1 of Isaiah, it says, Come now. Now, my friends, we need to be reminded of the urgency of the call to come to Christ. Now, will you hear the call tomorrow? Will you hear it the next day? Will you hear it next year? We, we cannot be confident that we'll be around tomorrow, let alone next year. And this is why the prophet says, come now while you have time. Come now. Come now while you are hearing the grace of God call through the Son of God, the one who died on that cross for you. Come now, he says. And, uh, and then God says here, now I don't know what your version says, but uh, let us argue it out. Um, let us reason is another word, but let us argue it out, says the Lord. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. My friends, uh, just as Adam and Eve had power to disobey, so do their children. And we need to be reminded of that uh, sorry fact too. But that first part, come now, God calls. Why? Because he loves. He loves the sinner so much that he sent Jesus Christ into this world to die on that cross, his son, the blessed son, Emmanuel, God with us, to die on that cross for you. The one who spoke and all these things came into existence. And, and as with Joy's situation this week, that tiny little nerve, that tiny little nerve can upset the system so quickly and so easily, so instantly. And God made the human body to work perfectly. But then when sin came in, it all began to degenerate and degenerated ever since. And some of us degenerate quicker than others. But God calls us because he loves us. You see, this word, uh, let us argue it out, it is, uh, it is really talking about reasoning. And it means to convince, to convict, to judge, to reprove even. It is to point out one's position. And God is saying, you are the sinners and you cannot possibly pay for your crime. Your debt is so big and so huge that only I can pay it for you. So he's clarifying his position. And uh, by implication, he's clarifying ours. How much we need him. And how much he deserves a grateful response. Uh, the word may also refer to physical circumstances being used to reprove sin, as in 2 Samuel 7.14 and Habakkuk 1 and verse 12. Rebuking? I'll say that one. <laughs> Rebuking sin. Whether this rebuking is done by God or by other persons. It's used in those, in those terms. And so he's, he's not just calling us to have a great time around the table. It's kind of like an accounting time. It's come, come, come. You're safe. Even though you've got terrible sin to deal with, you're safe with me. Come and sit around the table and we'll talk. And that night, one... 1st of January, 1 o'clock in the morning, when the Spirit of God said to me, come around the table. I knew there was such a difference between us. See, it was, a, it was pictured as a demonstration of love. And that's what this word there is, is, uh, is talking about. Let us argue it out. 
In other words, let us reason it out. Let us, let us lay the facts on the table. What can we do about this? Like a, like a business company might get together and, and they're in trouble financially and they lay all the facts out on the table. And, and Now, they're not there to have a nice cup of tea and a, and a cheesecake, are they? They're there to do the accounting. Look, this is our situation. And if we don't do something about this situation, we are destroyed. And so God is in his love. He is calling us around the round table. And he is, he is telling us, look, we really need to talk turkey here. We really need to be blunt. You're a sinner. But my blood is going to be for your ransom. Now, um, notice there in uh, Isaiah where it talks about your sins are like scarlet. Now, how are we to, how are we to read that? Well, do you think it might be saying your sins really stand out? Scarlet. I, uh, I actually, uh, those of you know, know how to do this, uh, that there, can you see that? Can you see that spot there? Can't you? Because it's white. <laughs> that scarlet kind of stands out, doesn't it? Kind of stands out. You know, your sin stands out. And God is saying, come, come, come around the table, come around the table. And then uh, the next thing he says, uh, they shall be like snow. <laughs> What's he saying there? Look, even though it stands out like scarlet on a white piece of paper, they, they are soon going to be like the white piece of paper. They're going to be beautiful and clean and cleansed. It can be cleansed. And there are too many people in this world that are so overwhelmed with their sins that they think they can never, ever be free from them. And there are people like that. But, uh, my friends, I want you to know that God is a God of love who calls the people from their sin and he's calling them in the name of Jesus Christ and he's saying to them, even though your sin is so visible, I can cleanse it so it is like white as snow. The next thing he says in there, though, they are like crimson, they shall be like wool. And if you are willing, sorry, uh, um, they shall be like snow. Now this is saying that uh, God really has power over reality. God really has power over the reality of our sins. And sometimes the reality of our sins, the sinner becomes overwhelmed by them to the point where he, he believes he can do nothing about it and he just has to carry them for, him, for himself forever. Um, but God, through the prophet Isaiah, is saying that he has power over that reality. But he's also saying that uh, we have a responsibility in of this. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, we are told that those who receive him to them he gives the authority to be children of God. 
or power is another word that gives in that sense a power and authority to be or right is another word that's translated there too to be a child of God but we must receive him we must receive this free gift of God that is offered by his grace and by the riches of his grace and so the Lord through the prophet says but if you refuse and rebel you shall be devoured by the sword from the mouth of the Lord for the mouth of the Lord has spoken so the, the grace is, off, is offered those of you who sit before me today and those who are listening wherever you are the Lord is offering to you forgiveness of the sin which you think has got you encapsulated forever. Doesn't have to have you encapsulated forever. In Ezekiel verse 11 and verse 19, sorry, chapter 11 and verse 19 says, I will give them one heart, no longer divided between right and wrong, but a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of a heart of flesh now that's not talking about flesh as in as it's used in other parts of scripture to represent sin this is talking about a tenderness a loveliness a graciousness a kindness it's, it's talking about the fruit of the spirit and you notice he's saying there I will give them one heart he's talking to individuals who are so divided in their hearts they don't know right from wrong and they, they bounce maybe from one to the other. I will give them one heart, no longer divided between right and wrong. And I'll put a new spirit within them. Isn't that a wonderful act of grace? When our sins have been so visible and so scarlet driven. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 says... For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus paid the price. And I ask you this question today. Have you been so long on the road that you've become so familiar with it that you've forgotten what a grace it is that you're there. We can, you know. We can get so familiar with the blessings of God. So I ask this question. Jesus paid the price for you. Are you grateful? In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19 to 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? The Spirit of God, this, this Spirit who was involved in creation. In the beginning, Elohim created this world, and that's plural for God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was involved in it all. And God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as Paul is putting here, is involved in calling us back to his lovely self. So the Spirit of God is within us, which you have from God. 
and that you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, if I was in a, uh, in a little Bible study, I would suggest to you that there are a number of statements in there that have connecting words between them. And I would ask you to, um, first of all, write the statements down, one after the other. And then I would uh, ask you to put at the end of each statement the connecting word, which would take it on to the next one. And then I would ask you then to examine that connecting word and see if it's suggesting a great value. For it says there, do you not know that your body is a temple of God's, uh, uh, sorry, a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? Wow, we have this from God. This is, this is God who created this world. And we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And Jesus paid it all. And then, then, you know, you could go on and which you have from God and that you are not your own. Wow. That you are not your own. You see, he didn't just pick us up out of the mud, clean us all down and, you know, get, give us a new set of clothes or whatever and say, well, off you go. So, no, we belong to him. God the Father and God the Son bought us. And then it says, for you are bought with a price. See the connecting word, how, they, how it adds value to these things? Therefore, and here's our response, a response of a grateful heart uh, Paul is talking about here. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I was uh, looking up that uh, verse of scripture the other day, which uh, reminds us that whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord. And I thought, what a, what a powerful instruction that is. And here we see the same idea. Because of what Christ has done for us on that cross, glorify God in your body. Whatever you do, whatever you plan, whatever you think, when you, when you find your mind being attacked by the evil one or the flesh is coming up, and bringing some thoughts that you say, no, I don't want those, thought, those thoughts. Reach out to God and glorify Him in your body because of what He has done for you. The believer has a responsibility to respect the price paid. Paul was conscious of his great need of God's grace, an attitude we all do well to participate in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10 to 11 he says, and he said to me, this is, you know, after, after Paul had been complaining to God about uh, the problem he's having with his body, there was something that was uh, bothering him and, uh, and this is what he, God's response to him was, my grace is sufficient for you for power is made perfect in weakness. Now, my friends, how many times 
Do you complain about the body you're living in? <laughs> You'll notice that I, whenever people ask me, how are you? I say, I'm fine. I am, well, occasionally I do, but I am fine. I am always fine. I don't care how my body feels, I am fine. And some people might think, well, that's a prideful thing to say. But I am fine only because of what Christ has done for me. And I am thankful for what God has done for me. And I am fine no matter how my body might feel. Now, some of you know what it means uh, when I say foggy brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I've had foggy brain this week, I can tell you. And build up to the service, the brain was foggy. But I am fine. No matter what the body is feeling, I am fine. I am not my body. I am something else. I am in my body. I am living in this tent. Paul talks about the tent that he lived in. He lays down the tent. And each one of us are going to do that one day. And we will discover that because of Christ, we didn't realise just how fine we really were. All those years, I complained about aches and pains and this and that and whatever else, and foggy brain and whatever else. But I am fine. I am always fine. And you are fine too. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, you are fine. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Now hear what Paul says now. He says, So I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So that in my weaknesses, people might see the power of Christ enabling me to keep going anyway. Whatever his problem was, he kept going because of the power of Christ in him. Therefore, I am content with weakness, he says, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, I am strong. Isn't that great? Doesn't matter how we feel in this world, in our, in our bodies, we need to remember that these bodies are going to lay down and we're going to be, and we're just talking before in the prayer room over there about um, you know, the bodies that we get will be eternal and that really is mind-boggling. Does that mean we're going to keep growing, keep growing, keep growing, keep growing? Hell, yeah. What does it mean? Well, God's got a big surprise for us, hasn't he? And in our weaknesses, we are learning to trust that God knows best. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 4 verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, uh, who is one of you, 
a servant of Christ Jesus greets you. He is always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf. I looked up that word wrestling there because it sort of suggested something to me and it really was suggesting that he was wrestling. He was straining in his prayers uh, for these uh, Colossian people. In his prayers on your behalf, he says, so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God's will, that God's will, sorry, that God wills. So don't be captivated by the happenings of this world, as many have been. But look into the future through the eyes of the evangelist John. We cannot finish today without noting John's vision that the angel of God gave him in Revelation 7, 13 to 14. One of the elders asked me, do you know who these people are that are dressed in white robes? Do you know where they come from? John replied, Sir, you must know. And then he told me, These are the ones who have gone through the great suffering. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and have made them white. Are you looking forward to that day when you will stand in their midst and praise our holy God forever and forever? And why can you have that hope? Because Jesus paid for it. Father, thank you for this great message that Paul has written down for us to read and to share with one another. Father, you planned it. Jesus, you paid for it. In due course, we will look at the Spirit applied it. But Father, we thank you for this time of feast here today on your wonderful word and the hope that you give to your people. So we thank you from a grateful heart. Amen. <laughs>